the years when I travel fire anymore. And uh, I'm glad we do, because it's a, it's a wonderful experience to, uh, to worship together. Christmas time is always unique, as I shared with the children. It was kind of special for us boys because we lived in a radar base which was very isolated. And so we really didn't get to go to very many Christmas Eve services or anything like that. Uh, we would have something within our own Air Force base, but it would be somewhat, very quite small. But Christmas morning was our special morning. And uh, as I said with the kids, we found unique ways to try and communicate our wishes. I remember one year, I wrote out, I wanted a pair of hockey gloves to keep me warm when I was playing hockey. I started playing hockey when I was about eight years old and played it almost every day, often by myself. And the Simpson Sears catalogs that we got were great shin pads. I put them under my socks and uh, they were great. But I remember asking for this pair of hockey gloves that I could wear when I played hockey, and I couldn't wait till Christmas morning. I just had to see these hockey gloves under the Christmas tree. And of course, they were all wrapped in presents, and we got there, and my dad was handing out the gifts to each of us boys. And there were boxes coming, and envelopes, and all kinds of fun things, and stockings. And I kept thinking, boy, I can't wait to open that box there because that looks just like hockey gloves there. And so we were opening them, and sure enough, I opened that box, and it wasn't hockey gloves. I can't even remember what it was today. But I said, there's got to be hockey gloves here somewhere. And so as I was opening my presents, I reached in my stocking, and pulled out a pair of winter gloves. You see, my mom thought hockey gloves were just gloves to keep my hands warm. And uh, I, I have to tell you, I probably had a pretty sad look on my face. You know, one of them puppy dog looks, just before you cry. And uh, my mom looked at my dad. My dad said, do you not know what hockey gloves are? Well, needless to say, a few days later, I got my hockey gloves. But that's a fun time for children. And it kind of makes a transition as we get to be older. Now that I'm a grandma and grandpa, I, I, I don't, my excitement about Christmas isn't what I get. My excitement about Christmas is seeing the faces of my grandchildren when they get what they wanted. We transcend. When we're kids, we want to see it. When we're adults, we want to see you get it. And we get all filled with this warm and fuzzies. Uh, my wife, I know, our grandkids gave her a great big hint. Uh, she took them shopping a couple of weeks ago uh, in, the, in the Cross Iron Mills Mall. And uh, they were in this store, but right next door, a store called Winners, and they had these big, what do you call them, Alice? marshmallow pillows or something and both my grandchildren were tugging on her and saying there's two in there there's only two left and and sure enough by the time they kind of tried to drag grandma that way 
One little kid had picked one of them up and went and sat on it, said, you're not getting this one. And so they went home, but my wife had the biggest clue in the world. Got to get these marshmallow pillows or whatever they are. And they all, remember those dolls we used to have years ago that when you bought them they had a name associated with them? What were those called again? Anybody remember? What? Cabbage Patch Dolls. And they all had a name. When you bought them, the name was in, came with them. Well, these pillows have the same thing. They have a birth certificate. And they have a name. And they're some sort of animal, most of them. Uh, I think my, my one daughter got a cat, and the other daughter got a bear. But it reminded me of the cabbage patch season. I can remember times when people were looking for cabbage patch, and they were sold out. And, and they, were, they were phoning, they were doing everything. They ended up paying hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars for these Cabbage Patch dolls whenever they could find one. Christmas wish lists. This week, as you will notice in the bulletin, I was thinking as I was kind of contemplating Christmas and my childhood and what's coming up tomorrow night, and I asked myself, I wonder what Jesus would have on his Christmas wish list. I wonder what would be on his list if there was such a thing that Jesus would have. I had a friend of mine in college. He was an interesting fellow. Uh, He never had been out of his hometown until he came to college in Regina. He was much younger than I as I was a senior student and he was fresh out of high school. But somehow we, we cracked up this friendship together. We would have coffee in the, in the, in the, you know, in the coffee room together, or we would just sit or we'd go for walks together. But he rarely showed any signs of emotion. But he had a great sense of humor. And while he was at college, although he grew up in a Christian home, it was in college where he really found his relationship with Christ and became a devoted Christian. And I recall he would go around telling people, just remember, Jesus, just remember, Jesus loves me and he loves you. Sometimes when things weren't going so well, there would be a little change, particularly if someone kind of hurt him or offended him, and he would go, just remember, Jesus loves me, but he likes you. And when he really was upset, and when he really was finding things difficult, I mean really bad things, he would say, God Almighty, what do you want from me? Have you ever found yourself in that situation? Where all of a sudden you just kind of cry out, God, what do you want from me? What's going on here? Well, you know, that's... That's not just something that we would recognize. That happened in the Old Testament. The passage that I, I read this week that I, I want to share with you comes from the Old Testament. It's one of the minor prophets. Micah, in, verse, in, uh, in chapter 6, in verse 6, he says, With what shall I come to you, Lord, and bow myself before the God on high? Translated, God, what do you want from me? What is it that you want? You see, Micah was a minor prophet in the days when Israel uh, and the Judean culture was, was not really liked. 
And it was in a lot of distress. And I sensed the heart of Micah was, God, what do you want of us? I think we all have that. But you know, God answered that. God answered that in verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord, what does the Lord require of you? But to, but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before God. What does God want of us? What is God's wish list for us? Those three simple things. You see, before this, before God answered him with that, with that, Micah wrote down, well, do I need to give you more calves? Do I need to sacrifice more children? Do I need to give you rivers of oil? What is it that you want of us? What is it that you want of me? And God responded with those three. A threefold response. First was to act justly. Or in other words, act with fairness, honesty, and integrity. Most Christians today have a special concern in their hearts for justice, primarily because we're beginning to see so little justice in the worlds around us. But we have it in our heart. We have it in our DNA. But that's not exactly what God is saying to Micah. He's saying, act justly. Just don't have a compassion for justice. Don't have a passion for those who are being treated unjustly. But I want you, he brought it down to an individual statement, I want you, Micah, to act justly. God requires of us that we do what is right and fair in our relationships with people around us. Justice involves a sense of standard of equality among people. It can be as simple as being honest in even the smallest routine transactions that we do. There's an old saying that I recall, honesty is best policy. Have you ever said that to your kids? Ever heard that said to you? But let me tell you a new anthem if you are a believer. And it's this, honesty is the only policy. Honesty is the only policy. If we're going to act justly, then we must act that way and just not believe it in our hearts. Psalm 51 reads this way, you desire truth in the inward parts. Justice is part of our DNA. When we find Christ as our Savior, he imparts upon us righteousness and justice, and love. But it's our responsibility to then take those gifts and act them out. In Proverbs we read, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs all the issues of life. We must settle deep in our hearts to be a people of integrity and be on guard in the battle to act justly. Micah tells us that. It seems Canada has become a nation of injustices. 
but not only Canada. We see it around the world more and more and more that nations are acting unjustly. And when a nation begins to act unjustly, it filters down through the population. We Canadians are very quiet about our, our country. Uh, we don't brag, we don't do much of the, the American-style stuff. But we still are filled with injustices. But they're small enough that they don't make the headlines. What about us personally? What about us personally? Sometimes we do and we cheat in small ways. Not enough so no one can notice. We often cheat in quiet and unknown ways, our friends and our neighbors. What about if we swindle an employee, cheat on our tax returns, or walk out of a store and when you get home realize that you, you, you did not pay for all of the groceries you bought? Do we turn around and go back to that cashier and make the payment? You see, acting justly is steps that we take. And they may not even be visible to those around us, but they are fulfilling the list of Yahweh. They are fulfilling the list of Yahweh. Act justly. But a second, he says, that not only should we act justly, but we should love mercy. The second thing God requires of us is that we love mercy. We are also to fill our hearts with compassion and kindness towards one another. My Hebrew study this week, the Hebrew word that Micah uses here, is translated as mercy, and it is a very rich word in the original language. It's used many, many times in the Bible in various ways. That same word could mean as mercy. The same word means tender mercies, loving kindness, steadfast love. That's what this mercy word means. It is a word that is most often used within covenant relationships between two parties or two peoples. And so it's a recognition that that's our relationship with God. It's our covenant with Him and Him with us. But what is he really saying? He's really saying that loving mercy is willing to distribute unexpected kindness. Unexpected kindness. See, we understand mercy, but God is not saying, I, I, I want you to go beyond understanding mercy. I want you to love mercy. There's a big difference between knowing mercy and loving mercy, or having mercy and loving mercy. One way of describing the difference is to say that we don't just do acts of kindness from a sense of obedience or compulsion, but we do them out of love. 
That seems to be the emphasis of Jesus as I read the New Testament and his teaching on the idea of unexpected acts of kindness. Loving mercy is distributing unexpected kindness. The parable of the Good Samaritan. It was the one considered least likely to offer help who did so. Unexpected kindness. The parable of the prodigal son reveals to us the heart of a father who accepted his son against the expectations of almost everyone else. Unexpected kindness. The story of the woman caught in adultery teaches compassion, teaches a compassionate mercy scarcely revealed in the Old Testament at all. Unexpected kindness. The dying thief on the cross had a lesson for us about the depth of God's mercy. Unexpected kindness. Because we have such a loving and merciful Father, I believe that God is exhorting us to be a distributor of mercy, of unexpected kindnesses to those around us. Jesus said in Matthew, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall inherit mercy. Peter wrote, All of you be of one mind, having compassion one for another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted. I was driving in, in Calgary the other day, going to the hospital to visit Diana. And I thought she was in, uh, she was in Peter Lawhey, but had got transferred to Rocky View, which I didn't know. And I, I was driving up 32nd Avenue, and I came to Barlow Trail, and, and 32nd, and I saw this gentleman come walking down between the two, two cars with a toque in his hand. And Obviously, he was a street person. And I reached in my pocket, and I wanted to give him something to him, and I, I kind of went over to my passenger side because he was there, and I was getting my window down, and he walked by so fast, I didn't get a chance. And I actually thought I would look for a way to turn around and do it again. But I didn't. So often God gives us opportunities as believers to give an unexpected kindness to somebody, but we miss the opportunity. Because something captures us and takes us away from the opportunity. If we are going to walk with the eyes of Christ, when we see those opportunities, it is us that must sacrifice what is needed to make it happen. It is us that is required of God. It's his Christmas wish, if you like, that we be distributors of unexpected kindness. I went to the hospital, and Diana was not there. I went to her room because I'd visited her time before. And I walked in her room, and no one was there, but there was another uh, 
young lady there, not young, there was, there was an elderly lady there. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, I thought Diana was here. And she said, no, I just came in. I said, well, I, I just came to pray with her, and I'll find out where she is. And she said, well, would you pray for me? And I said, of course I would. Of course I would. But I'm not so sure, if I'm honest with you, I would have done it had I not gone through this study this week. And as I was going through this study this week, I asked God, give me opportunities for unexpected kindness that no one had expected of me, but I will do it. I tell you, my friends, church, when you have your heart opened that way first thing in the morning, God will give you opportunity. God will give you opportunity to be a distributor of mercy, unexpected kindness. Those are the first two. The third is to walk humbly with your God. I don't know if you noticed, but let me, let me read that passage of Scripture to, to you in fullness. I don't have my glasses, but I think I have it written here. Here's the passage. After he cries out, what would you have of me, Lord? I'm going to paraphrase it in my words. Micah says to God, shall I come before you with burnt offerings, with calves, a year old? Will you be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What would you have of me? You see, Micah got caught up where I think we get caught up. We think and we behave in many ways with false expectations. God expects his children to love and get along with one another. He expects his children to treat one another justly and fairly. He expects his children to love mercy and to show kindness to one another. But he also expects that we would have a right relationship with him, with God himself. The first two are about others. This one is about God. The New Testament reminds us, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You see, I think Micah was trying to boast just a little bit. What shall I do? Shall I give you more calves? Shall I give you more rams? Shall I give you more oil? Shall I give you... Shall I give you my children. When I cry out to God, and I confess to you that I do, I cry out to the, to the same way Micah does, when things are not going quite the way I think. God, what do you want of me? What is going on? Don't I worship you enough? Don't I pray enough? Don't I give enough? What is going on? 
And my mind focuses on what I'm doing for God. I will do more. But that's not what God is asking for. It's not them saying we don't pray. It's not them saying we don't worship. But the expectation from God is that we walk humbly before Him. You see, when we think about what should I do more? Should I give more? Should I pray more? Should I worship more? What's the key word there? Should I, I, I? And God is simply saying, just walk humbly before me. Just walk humbly before me. God expects us to walk with him humbly. Easy tack, task, you might say, but a, but a hard reality. See, I think if we're honest with ourselves, even if we're Christians, and we look at it in the spiritual realm, we can actually become spiritually arrogant. We become spiritually proud. We tend to think that God's role is to make us happy, to serve us, to answer our prayers. But it is we who are to serve God and glorify Him. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray. I'm not saying we shouldn't worship. But are we expecting God to bless us more deeply when we do more of those things? God just simply says to us, walk humbly before me. Walk humbly before me. Well, what does that mean? What does that really, really mean? Well, I think our passage of Scripture that we read this morning tells us very clearly. Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought. Strip yourself of pride. Strip yourself. You know that I am a spiritual narcissist. You say, oh, wait a minute. I think we're all spiritual narcissists because it's all about me being the center of my world. I am the center of my world. And everything needs to come from the center of my world and it has to be about me. I have been begging Lord for a number of years now, take that narcissism away from me. I want it to all be about you, Jesus. All about you. None of this needs to be about me. But this needs to be about you. Isn't that the season? Isn't that where we are? Good God Almighty, what do you want of me? It's really simple. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before God. That's his, that's his wish list.
How about you? You see, I think being humble means being honest with ourself, within ourself. And I confess to you as your pastor, I have a long way to go. But I made a covenant this week in my heart. Lord, I want you to help me take me away from me and replace me with you. Replace me with you. Because I can only be humble when I surrender my full self to you. When I surrender my full self to you and take me out of the center of my world. I shouldn't say that with my wife here. Because she'll know whether I'm really obeying that or not. But she loves me. And then sometimes she likes me. But Jesus loves me, and he loves you. Three things. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. Father in heaven, it is so good to know that we have a relationship with you. And that in our pilgrimage through that relationship, our covenant with you is firm and secure. Because you will never break your covenant with us, even though we wander from our covenant with you. As we approach this Christmas season, the reminder of the coming of King Jesus, that we might be set free and we might become who you want us to become. And so, Father, Holy Spirit, embolden us each in our daily walk these days and days moving forward to act the way you want us to act in a justified way. To love mercy, to love giving out unexpected kindnesses to those around us wherever we might be. And make our Lord, it's all about you, out of ourselves. And make our, make our lives all about you. For we ask it in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.